I'm getting a lot of content from you today. Yeah, I can see it now. I'll, I'll I'm go, making next, you work Next time you. I go onto YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it's Peter Lloyd here. I hope you're enjoying the DTM course so far. I've talked to a few of you and it certainly seems like it. But do let us know what you think. We're really interested to know how you find these podcasts. This is the third DTM podcast and the subject we're going to talk about is what's called design fixation, which is a kind of form of psychological bias that can affect designers when they design. The podcast features Dr. Nathan Crilly from the University of Cambridge in the UK, who's researched and written a lot about design fixation, so I'll let him explain it far better than I could. So first of all, we're going to hear an interview I did with Nathan for about 15 minutes, followed by a 10-minute discussion between Mika and myself about what Nathan said. So it's not a long podcast, but it is packed with detail, and I should warn you that Nathan is quite a fast talker, so look at the transcription in the show notes if you miss anything of what he says. I hope you find it interesting. And here we go. So I'm here in the studio with Dr. Nathan Crilly, who is a researcher from the University of Cambridge in the UK. And he is a, one of the world experts on a phenomenon called design fixation, which is um, a cognitive bias which affects human behaviour and therefore all designers. Welcome to the DTM podcast, Nathan. Thanks for having me. That's okay. And can you give me an example first, first off of how, what design fixation is and, and how will it affect designers when they design? Sure. So design fixation is generally described as uh, an instance where a designer is trying to be creative, trying to come up with new ideas, but in fact their previous knowledge and their experience and things they've seen are restricting that imagination. So instead of exploring... Uh, as widely as they could, uh, they're remaining a little bit limited. So if we think of an example, I mean, being here in Delft, so if you were asked to design a new type of uh, bicycle storage facility and you're sketching ideas and you're trying to come up with uh, new ways you could do it, but there's a good chance your ideas will be influenced by all the bicycle storage facilities you've already seen, such as the ones at Delft train station um, or outside uh, TU Delft. So you're trying to come up with new ideas, but you already know all this stuff. You have these expectations as to what bicycles are, how they should be stored, how people use them. Um, and whilst you're trying to think broadly, you might find that certain features of pre-existing solutions keep recurring. And that's, that's great if those solutions are good. Maybe it doesn't matter too much, but it could be they're not very useful or not very useful for your new idea, and yet those ideas just sort of stick around. Mm. So design fixation is often described in that way. You want to come up with something new, but your imagination is being inhibited by the precedent uh, that you've seen or the knowledge and experience you've got. So we don't start from a blank page. The page already has a few few things on it that we have to either kind of get rid of or, or try and um, find our way around. Whilst experience and knowledge is generally thought of as a good thing, because the more experience you have, then the more expert you are, generally expertise is a double-edged sword. So it, it can enable very skilled performance within your area of expertise but it can restrict your ability to think of things outside that area okay. of expertise okay. and a lot of the studies of expertise look at that uh, that conflict okay. as to when expertise is good and when not so if you're a designer you might be expert in all sorts of products you might be expert in your own work and that's useful because you can use that prior knowledge but it also might have a restricting effect as well so even if you're experienced you can suffer from design fixation yeah so in the work that we've done, especially when we speak to expert designers, they one of the things that they've learned to recognise over the years is recognise their own susceptibility to fixation. 
getting hung up on an idea that you can't can't get rid of. Yeah, and you don't recognise you're hung up on it, which is the big problem. You tend not to be aware of fixation. Um, you tend to be excited by the the idea you have, and you think it's good, and you keep developing it. And all the time you think you're exploring the different options, but in fact you're uh, staying on a on a narrow path. And a lot of the time that's very helpful. So you don't want to necessarily question everything all the time. And often in commercial work, you're not being paid to endlessly think about all the different options for how you could interpret the brief or how the different product options or whether it should be a service rather than a product. You, you can explore some of that to some extent, but the client, if you have an external client, won't just pay you for endless exploration. And so it can be very adaptive and productive and efficient to operate in this somewhat restricted way. Mm. Um, and the problem comes when it's not adaptive. So is there a theory of design fixation then? How does it, re- how, how does it relate to other, other work? It sounds like psychological sort of... Uh... Yeah, so there's a much, design fixation is an instance of a much more general uh, set of phenomena which are called cognitive biases. And these are this large set of biases where what you see is a systematic, as in a reliable and reproducible form of behavior. So a systematic form of behavior where people don't perform entirely rationally, where the information that they are considering and the decisions they may make are biased in a particular way. And so this cognitive biases research has been uh, going on for decades. That has tended to focus on relatively narrow uh, aspects of decision making. So you have to choose one thing over another or you have to estimate a number. I think the interesting thing that design fixation research adds to that is it looks at much more open-ended problems. So biases in creative work rather than just biases in decision making. And of course in professional practice in design, both of those are relevant. You have to make decisions uh, that are binary decisions, for example, but you also have to explore uh, the problems and solutions you're working on. There's a thing called satisfaction of search. So once you're looking for something, when you find it, you're very satisfied and you might not search for something else. So yeah. they see that in airport baggage handling, or once they find the knife, they don't see the bomb. Yeah. Or if you see yeah. it in x-ray scanning on multiple fractures, they find one break in the bone and they miss the other one mm. because they were just looking mm. for something. And when they found it, they felt the search was over. Mm. So there's lots of different categories of bias. That so as, as, a, as a practicing designer, you can imagine, um, you know, I think we've all been through this process where you, you're, you're in a sort of creative mindset and you sort of think, yes, yeah, this, it's all fitting together really well. It's sort of, yeah, I've, I've got the solution kind of thing. But that can be a dangerous position to be in as well as a, as a um, feeling a, a good position. Yeah, and I, I think that's likely to be the, there's at least two variants of this. One is that you're going to get fixated. If you're looking at solution fixation, so you're fixating on an existing solution, it could be that it's someone else's solution or it could be that it's your solution. And it seems that there's more risk you'll get fixated on your own solution than on someone else's. Design fixation is normally described in terms of an individual designer or a small group of designers being fixated on what they're working on. In fact, designers in professional practice, they have to manage other people. There might be someone else who's fixated, even if they're not, or it might be the client arrives and the client is already fixated on their interpretation of the problem or their, uh, the solutions they think are most likely to work. Or it could be you present a product to the market and the, the market or the customers are already fixated on their idea of what that product should be. So understanding fixation doesn't just influence your own creative practice but can influence the way in which you try to interact with other people who might whose own fixation might influence your work or might influence its reception so there's a couple of theories that are relevant to uh, design fixation one is psychological ownership that when you develop an idea you feel you have ownership over it and you protect it like mm-hmm. one of your possessions mm-hmm. you want to defend it um, and some of the creative methods some of uh, like the six hats method for example 
tries to uh, get around that. Um, so there's psychological ownership, where we develop an idea, you're very attached to it. Sometimes that's also referred to as the IKEA effect. Um, the and, IKEA and effect. The IKEA effect, as in once you've made something yourself, uh, it means more to you. Oh, I see, right, yeah. yeah. Given to you. yeah. Um, and the other thing is the sunk cost effect. So once time, energy, resources have been sunk into an investment, and that could be an investment of developing an idea or a financial investment, it mm -hmm. doesn't really matter, you tend to make your decisions about future about the future based on the past, based on those previous mm -hmm. investments, even though they're not relevant to what you might do in the future. So design fixation is explained by um, both of those ideas in different ways. So a design individual or a design team working through a project have already sunk various costs into that idea, and they also might have ownership over that idea. And those two factors in combination mean that you might be uh, implicitly very uh, defensive of it and might not even recognize the alternatives. Mm -hmm. I think most of the time in this conversation, we've focused on solution fixation. So you come up with a good solution to the problem and you get fixated on that. But you can also think about problem fixation, where your interpretation of the problem is limiting in itself. Um, and you might think about problem reframing, which is a way of defixating from your problem interpretation. And you could think of process fixation as well, where you have a certain way of working through a design process and you could be fixated on that process being But to some degree, planned. you can't help. I mean, you have to have some solid ground in your process. You can't help being fixated. You know, it's almost like fixation is a way of holding yourself firm while you while you explore the the area around you somehow. But those those places where you hold yourself firm are need questioning and need need um, changing from time to time. Yeah, and like I say, this is adaptive. So if we were always questioning what the problem really is, what the process is to solve it, and what the solution might look like, um, then we wouldn't make much progress. progress. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. But it's a matter of if, if those things just stay fixed forever, um, then all sorts of creative options are not being explored. So there's a balance there. There's a, there, well, I suppose there's a recognition that as, a, as, as people, we have these, these biases built inbuilt that can benefit us because they help us progress in something, but they can also um, hinder us. A lot of the design creativity methods and design methods more generally can be seen as ways to overcome or manage design fixation. So you can look at um, the various rules that are applied to brainstorming sessions. They're really, although they're not always framed this way, they're a, a useful way to challenge design fixation. Mm. And the same with um, systematic methods of exploring problems, exploring solutions, and documenting those explorations, for example, morphological charts. You, you can speak to professional designers who say it's a good way of systematically yeah. changing that, yes, I've already understood that that's an idea, I better move on to the next one. Designers use lots of tools in their work. It could be that they use, the, they use sketching, or they use uh, CAD tools, or it could be they use something like um, you know, morphological charts or something else. Yeah. So there's various tools and techniques you can use. But one of the main tools that designers are using, especially during the more creative aspects of projects, is they're using their own mind. Yeah. And in the same way that understanding the strengths and weaknesses of various tools is useful when you're deciding whether to sketch something or use a CAD tool, it's also useful to understand the strengths and weaknesses of your own yeah. mind yeah. and your own instincts. So a lot of the work on cognitive biases and design fixation reveal very clearly to us what the mind might sometimes be inclined to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, to fixate on how solution. we deceive ourselves in to, in certain uh, certain ways. Yeah. So, and that deception applies across all aspects of human behaviour. Yeah. So, if you know that the cognitive tools that you're using are 
and, and the processes that you might be involved in are biased and are subject to various um, weaknesses, then you can use the other tools that are available to complement that. So in the same way that you might do some sketching to show a rough sketch to a client so they don't get hung up on the details of a CAD model, and you as a designer might choose when to move between sketching and CAD, you also might choose when to move between brainstorming and morphological charts because you know that the strengths of one and the weaknesses of the other. And all of those are to try to manage the, the deficiencies of the way that people mm. think. So you could use those creative tools, but you could also try and reflect on your own previous experiences as a designer, try and recognize, the in, again, in retrospect, the times when you might have been fixated and the costs of that like the, in the avenues you didn't explore, and then try and use that to improve your performance in the future. So to become more aware, more literate, in your own propensity for fixation and uh, yeah, through reflection challenge that in the future. So it's about kind of awareness, raising awareness and be able to reflect on yourself. There's various aspects of, of bias training where one, one of the stages is to try and reveal the individual's susceptibility to bias. I mean, one of the cognitive biases is called the bias bias, where we're biased to think that other people are more biased than we are. <laughs> And, and so there's also you, uh, unconscious bias too. Is something really equal opportunities for you know male, female, different ethnicities that you're unconsciously biased towards certain populations than than others. And the fact that it's unconscious, you're not obviously not aware of it. But when it's pointed out, then you can change your behaviour. You can build in specific mechanisms that stop that happening. Unconscious bias seems to be the name that's been given to those A biases. Set, set that of, is, yeah, yeah, sort of the social and the demographic forms yeah, of bias we might yeah. have but that might that might in a in a participatory process where you're thinking of which stakeholders can we involve in this process so you're using a method that sort of says you know go and go and get specific user groups to come in or, or different engage with different uh, different types of people in the design process you're going to tell you different things the way that you select those people could be another form of um, fixation in the design process so anywhere where you might be making decisions about people so that could be hiring participants yeah, for yeah. a study it could be interacting with the client it could be hiring members of the team um then you'd expect what's normally referred to as unconscious bias uh to play a role just as it does in other hiring decisions in other organizations yeah, yeah. so there's a there's a thing called project implicit run by harvard where anyone can go online and they can participate in these online studies that will give them some feedback on what their apparent level of unconscious bias is for uh, male-female, for example, or uh, racial groups, age. And the idea is that by getting feedback on the fact that you individually might ex exhibit one of these biases, you can reflect on that and um, use it as a form of self-training. Speaking as a designer, I know that design fixation exists. How can I avoid getting fixation? What would be the things that I would do to stop being fixated? So I think there are probably three different approaches you could take. So one is you could use the various design and ideation and creativity tools that are available. So if you put that onto one set, you can use you can use those tools. The other one is you can try and either form diverse groups or bring in external perspectives and people who might challenge what you're doing. And there's some nice examples where a group is working on something and someone else comes in and questions why are you doing that and it's because they're from a different background they're a physicist or a chemist or a social scientist or something and they just have a very different perspective on things and then the third one which seems to be in some ways conflicting advice is either stick with it and keep working on it and work against your own um, biases or take a break from it and do something else and give it some time to disappear and i think on that last point it's either 
if you're freshly fixated on something, then it's good to take a break from it. Um, but if you've been working on something for a long time, it might be that you need to really just knuckle down and keep going to, to challenge that fixation rather than taking a break because you've taken plenty of breaks already. So where should people interested in exploring design fixation a little bit more, where should they, where would we, where would you recommend they go to? If I think cognitive biases in general are interesting and relevant to design practice, even if it's not the ideation stage. And there's a famous book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Kahneman and Tversky, but typing in types of cognitive bias or categories of cognitive bias um, into your preferred search engine will bring up some nice neat lists that are a lot shorter than that book um, and will let you identify the types that you think might be relevant okay. to the sorts of work okay. you do. Right. Thanks very much. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for the chance. So that was Nathan. Yeah. I, he I, speaks quickly. <laughs> he speaks very fast, yeah. Yeah, I th first of all, I thought it was really nice that he was here. So I think it's one of the good things of uh, working in a university and working at TU Delft yeah. is that we've got all these people visiting us yeah. and then sharing all the things that they've learned with us, which is more inspiring than just reading uh, uh, the articles uh, they've been writing. So um, Yeah, I mean, he when I said he was a kind of world expert, I wasn't underestimating no, him. No, no. He, he really yeah. has written a lot about yeah. it and thought a lot about it. And I think... Yeah. You can tell how coherent he is about yes. it. What was the sort of one thing that you took out of? Do you think? Well, I've, one, the one thing I've been thinking about is um, why have I not really looked into fixation before? Even though I'm a design researcher, I'm really interested in designing. Uh, fixation has never really been on my radar. But then I realized that uh, fixation is actually not the same as being stuck in a design process it's it's the opposite it's you know you're so fixated on something and having a good idea that you don't even think about that anymore yeah. that you might maybe yeah. be fixated yeah, or that was... you might be biased and then i started thinking about you know when could have been times that i was fixated but was not aware of it and then i started thinking uh about this about the podcast we're making <laughs> Because, you know, this is essentially a design process. We are designing, you know, a course, DTM. And I think quite early on in this process, the idea of creating a podcast came up, it came from you. And I thought it was a really good idea. And now, now we've been sharing that with people, uh, I think, in an enthusiastic way. But now I was suddenly thinking, hey... Are we maybe Were there too... other ways to do this? Yes. Are we maybe a little bit too fixated on podcasts? And what would be the way first to find that out? And if we were fixated, what, you know, what, sh what should we do to get kind of uh, beyond this idea of, uh, of, of a podcast? Yeah. I mean, that's where design methods yes. come into play. Yes. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. That, that they, they force you to think in a ways that you wouldn't normally think of. Yeah maybe generating more alternative yeah. solutions yeah. at the at the start of the process. Yeah. I think Nathan makes the point that one of the ways not to be fixated is to get external exactly. people exactly. looking at what you do yeah. and giving the opportunity for them to have to yeah. make a critical comment. Yeah. So have we done that? I think so in the process of yeah. making a proposal, showing it to certain people, sending it around, getting feedback on yeah, the proposals. Yeah, so we send I it to the... You're testing the, the validity of the yeah. idea. So we talk to the people here who know all about blended learning, who seem to be excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also, at a certain point, fixation is about 
commitment. Once you're committed yes. to something, it's yes. very difficult to leave that commitment. I yeah. think uh, Nathan talked about um, sunk costs. You're invested in something. Yes. And then you're invested in making it work, yes. whatever, you know, yeah. ignoring other evidence. And that's recognizing the beginnings of that process, yeah. I think, is, yeah. is the key for fixation. Yeah. I think if you're, you know, if you're in a comfortable process and you feel that you're getting enough input, I, I don't think that's it's something that you should be too worried about. You yeah. know, but I think it's just a phenomena that that can happen. The thing that I took from the podcast, actually, the one thing that I uh, uh, liked Nathan saying that the mind is a tool. You know, we, yes. we have we, we use these tools in designing, but also your mind is a tool and, and it has certain limitations and certain advantages and understanding those limitations yeah. in using methods or using other techniques to to get around those limitations yeah. makes for a better de- design yeah. process. So we don't always need a morphological scheme or a brainstorm session, we can use our minds as well as a tool. And if we would not have fixation, it would also not be good because then we would never commit to anything. I mean, that's the other thing is cognitive biases, they have advantages and they also have disadvantages. So it's good to be fixated to a certain degree, you know, to frame a problem in a certain way and and to go as far as you can with that. But then the... The disadvantage with that is if it lasts too long and you get fixated on something that's not going to work in the end. Then, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did go to the website that Nathan uh, mentioned, the Project Implicit, the Harvard uh, study, to see if uh, what my cognitive bias was. But it's all you, you have to choose a test. So I looked at the test that test for if you have any cognitive bias in terms of if you relate mental illness to danger. You mean mental health means that you might be in more danger or... or no, this is you... actually about mentally ill people. So if uh, if you meet someone who is mentally ill... That they're more dangerous. If they are more dangerous. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. okay. So it's a okay. very uh, sensitive uh, topic. So there, there's, there's lots of uh, tests like that, you know, related to race or to gender uh, and all these kind of uh, biases that we really don't want to have. But, you know, there's all these signs that shows that you do have that. So there's these specific tests that can test you on this particular type of bias. But I was wondering, is that there maybe also a test that can test your level of fixation <laughs> in a design process? Is that possible? Or is it just really depending on the, you know, the design process? I, th- I think there, there is research that attempts to do that. Oh, really? How useful it is, I, I, I'm not know. sure. Yeah. I, think, I, think, yeah, I think it's much more about being aware that there are possible effects yes. and not necessarily where you are on the scale. No, it's not like, you know, you go for a job interview <laughs> yeah. as a designer and, you know, you have to take the test for first. Yeah, exactly. Check if you're not Exactly, yeah. And I think, it's so, I think a lot of it is the environment related. There are a lot of different yeah. situations where you might or might not be fixated. I, yeah. I think the original paper that, that Nathan mentioned was basically about showing people an image and then getting them to design something and that image reappearing. Yes. So, so they'd seen something and they, they couldn't get it out of their heads when they were designing something. Yeah. So it's a very specific situation. Yeah. Yeah. And although it must apply in other, in, in other situations yeah. too, I think having a, a single measure is just simplifying things a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah. And, and also not useful, like you're saying. I think the most important thing we learn from this is what we can do about fixation. How yeah. can we become more aware of our potential fixation 
uh, and then if we are aware, what we, what can we do yeah, about yeah. it? And I yeah. guess trying new methods, trying new things yes. in the process yeah. helps you to explore th- explore things that you might not have thought of exploring. Yeah. So trying a new method, I mean, Nathan, Nathan mentioned taking a break, but I think just trying something different for a yeah. while yeah. gets you out of a habit yeah. of a, a way of thinking. Yeah. So I think that also helps. Yeah.